If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Damian Bolwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, as many of us try to regain normalcy more than two years into the pandemic, some of our friends, coworkers, and neighbors are really hurting. These people have what is known as long COVID. They may suffer from debilitating pain and fatigue and a host of other symptoms, but there's no test yet, nor a cure. My colleague, Chronicle reporter Nanette Asimov, has been talking to many people suffering from long COVID. She says they feel powerless, frustrated, and angry. And they worry that as the Bay Area sees a recent surge of cases, people don't fully understand the risks. I'll ask her about the makeshift treatments that some of these patients are trying and what the government and medical community are doing to help. Later in the show, reporter Catherine Ho will join us. She'll give us the latest vaccine updates, including when the youngest children will be able to get their shots. But first, Nanette Asimov on long COVID. Nanette, thanks for joining me. A pleasure. Nanette, you've been talking to a lot of people around the Bay Area and beyond who are suffering from long covid Tell us what they describe. It must be really frustrating and scary. It is. It's very frustrating and scary for people who have this condition and the symptoms are so stressful and painful for many of them and there doesn't seem to be anything to do about it at present. So, for example, I I talked to one woman who said that her long COVID is so bad that she feels her brain is broken. And she asked not to be interrupted when we spoke so that she wouldn't lose her train of thought. And this would fall into a category of neurological symptoms. But the other kind of symptoms are debilitating fatigue, there's cardiovascular problems, and there's a unique condition um, that's got the name of POTS for postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which is simply that whenever you stand up, your heart races. So it is very confusing for people. Well, obviously, a lot of people are thinking about long COVID now, in part because of this surge that we're having. So Nanette, what do we know about how it is affected by different variants and by vaccination status? After studying long COVID now for about two years, doctors seem to agree that about a third of unvaccinated people who are COVID survivors have persistent symptoms that count as long COVID. But if you got a breakthrough case and you were vaccinated, chances are pretty much cut in half that you will get long COVID according to what the research shows. I think that it's not yet clear how individual variants affect long COVID, but these are certainly among the areas that the researchers are studying. And what causes long COVID? Do we know yet? Doctors and researchers say there's probably three likely causes and possibly more. But so far, what they're looking at are bits of the coronavirus that remain hidden in the body and continue to wreak havoc over time. Another similar reason is persistent inflammation caused by the virus. And then 
A third is that when the body's own immune system turns on itself, and it's a process called autoimmunity, and there's evidence of all these things happening in the many people who suffer from long COVID. Are these people getting tested? Is there is there a test like you can take for COVID? That's one of the very frustrating things. Doctors say that there is no blood test, there's no x-ray. Diagnosing long COVID is very, very hard. And that's a problem that means there's no treatment able to be developed right now. And you have drug companies who were saying, you know, until we have a blood test, until we have some way of positively diagnosing specifically long COVID, we're not going to put our treatment dollars into something we just don't know where it will land. We can't prove to the FDA, for example, that, you know, this is going to work because we don't even have a way to diagnose it yet. And getting back to the people that you've been spending time with and talking to, Nanette, are they seeing their symptoms go away eventually? You know, it really depends on who you talk to. That woman I mentioned who feels like her brain is broken, her symptoms remain. She's constantly what she calls crashing every few weeks. Nothing she tries is affecting her. She's trying all kinds of supplements and um, she got rid of caffeine and it just doesn't seem to help her. And her doctors aren't giving her any medication. Another guy I spoke to in Berkeley has much more heart symptoms. So he got what he felt like a horrible heart attack months after he recovered from COVID. He described it as a deep aching chest pain, and his body tingled and his blood pressure soared. This guy's 30 years old, by the way. And um, his symptoms lasted for seven months before he began to feel any kind of relief. He said it felt like he had a heart attack every single day. And then he tested positive for high inflammation, his cytokine storm. You might have heard that expression. He has had high cytokine levels, which are an indication. Anyway, so the Tried him on steroids and other anti-inflammatories. Those didn't work very well. But then he was given a drug for gout and then another drug that's supposed to um, reduce the effect of like opioids or narcotics. And these two drugs somehow helped him reduce his inflammation and he's feeling better. He, he's able to go back to work just a couple of weeks ago. And he says he feels 65% better. I mean, you paint a picture of a disease that's in its early stages. There there doesn't appear to be enough research yet. There are treatments, but they are sort of being jimmied by the doctors. I mean, what what can we expect in the future, and what is the government doing about this? The research is at the very early stage, even though it's been two years now. You know, it's taken that long to figure all of this out. And so last month, President Biden announced a national research action plan on long COVID, kind of realizing we've got to hurry up and get on top of this thing. And that plan is meant to accelerate something that the National Institutes of Health started a year ago, which is a $1.1 billion endeavor called Recover, where they're just trying to jumpstart research at sites all around the country, including UCSF and Stanford in the Bay Area. And so they're just trying to throw money at it, throw scientists at it, and hurry things up. It's kind of like the trajectory of HIV AIDS. The, the more attention has been paid to it, the more research involved, finally they got to a point where they at least could make HIV AIDS something you didn't always die from. 
Nanette, before I let you go, I want to ask you, in talking to all these people that are suffering from long COVID, how are they? Are they hopeful? It's something that really knocks people for a loop. A lot of the people you spoke to are either out of work or working less because they can't. I mean, how are they holding up? The overarching mood that I got from people, honestly, is anger and frustration. They're very angry at two things mainly. One, the pace of research. They want things to hurry up, and you and I would too. But I spoke to this one woman who was amazed that people are taking off their masks because of the risk of long COVID. She just said to me, don't they understand the risk? They don't want to have long COVID, but they maybe don't even know about it. And she wanted people to know about it because it's so horrible for her and for so many others. Nanette, thank you so much for joining me. Happy to be here. Let's take a quick break on Fifth and Mission. When we come back, I'll be joined by Chronicle reporter Catherine Ho. We'll get the latest vaccine updates from her. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa. My next guest is Chronicle Health reporter Catherine Ho. Kat, thanks for joining me. We wanted to have you on and talk about where we are with vaccines, where we're going in the months ahead. First of all, how many people in the Bay Area are vaccinated now? Right now, the vast majority of people in the Bay Area are vaccinated. Depending on the county, it's anywhere from 80 to 90 percent. And that is the figure for people who are fully vaccinated, meaning they've gotten those first two shots. The numbers are a little bit lower for boosters. Okay, a lot of parents are still worried about children under five years old who have not been able to get the shots. What is the update on when we might see vaccines for those kids? So it's looking right now that we'll hear some news about that probably next month. The FDA, the way they handle this is they have their vaccine advisory committee meet and look over the safety and efficacy data once the vaccine companies have submitted that. So right now, both Moderna and Pfizer have submitted their data for the kids under five, and the FDA's committee will be reviewing that next month if those scheduled meetings take place as planned. Okay, so the soonest we might be able to see those vaccinations is when? Probably late June. So the FDA will come out with a recommendation on whether the benefits outweigh the risk for that age group. So, you know, the first step is kind of like the FDA clearing it. And then once that happens, that'll kind of set in motion the CDC's recommendations. And typically this happens pretty fast within a couple days of the FDA giving the okay. Next up, boosters for children 5 to 11. What are we seeing there? So right now, the kids 5 to 11, they're the only group right now that can be fully vaccinated but can't be boosted just yet. And so we're expecting to hear about boosters for that group potentially as early as this month. Um, It could also go into next month. We don't have really clear dates on that. There's just kind of general expectation that that'll be greenlit pretty soon. We also now have a new vaccine, right, for adults. Tell us about that. The Novavax vaccine applied for emergency use authorization several months ago, actually, and it is already in use in many countries in Europe. And so that is important 
mostly because there have been a lot of folks in this country that have not been comfortable getting vaccinated because the mRNA technology, they didn't feel familiar enough with it. It is a very safe technology. However, there are people who don't feel comfortable with it. And so for those people who haven't been vaccinated yet, there is a hope that they might want to get vaccinated with the Novavax vaccine because that uses a more traditional, older type of vaccine technology. It's a protein-based vaccine. So we'll see how that plays out. So far, that has not been the case, at least in the early rollout in Europe. The other reason it could be kind of an interesting development is, you know, there's a lot of talk now about mixing and matching different types of vaccines going forward, potentially annual boosters. The Novavax vaccine, if it is authorized here, kind of could be in the mix in that way as well. There's some early indication that mixing and matching seems to be marginally better than sticking with one vaccine for all your shots. So that's interesting. We'll see more data on that, I think, in the coming months. All right. I purposely mixed and matched, Kat, so I'll, I'll look you? forward to that. Good that'll for my, you. That'll be my third. Meanwhile, Kat, there was more news about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Uh, what about that? Last week, the FDA basically said the Johnson & Johnson vaccine should be kind of a last resort vaccine and that you should only get it if you can't get the other two types of vaccines. Now that all three vaccines are so widely available and easy to get everywhere. That pretty much means it's the Pfizer and Moderna that um, is is recommended now. And the reason for that was because of the blood clots issue with the J&J vaccine, that it is still, you know, very rare, but at slightly elevated rates. So that's the reason for that decision. Okay, finally, Kat, what about fall and winter booster shots? Yeah, so we're going to hear, I think, some interesting news, maybe in June on what the fall and winter vaccines are going to look like. So there's two things that I think I'm kind of keeping an eye on with those developments. The first one is whether we're going to need uh, to update our current vaccines to target specific variants. That's still a little bit up in the air because we don't know which variant is going to be circulating you know, six months from now. It's still a little unclear whether that will be needed because our current vaccines are still working pretty well at preventing severe outcomes. So there's, I think, a lot of debate within the vaccine science community about whether we need to do that, but that's being looked at. The other thing is who's gonna be eligible for additional boosters in the fall or winter. Is looking to be maybe 50 and overs, certainly 65 and overs, because by then, you know, the immunity from previous shots will have waned and there's this possible like seasonality of COVID. So there could just be more COVID circulating in the fall and winter overall. And the FDA has said that if they are going to make these decisions about the fall and winter, that they would do it by early summer. Um, And that's coming up relatively soon. So we should hear some news on that front pretty soon. All right. Kat Ho, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks to my guests today, Chronicle reporters Nanette Asimov and Catherine Ho, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.